Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. In the so-called lucky country, we live in freedom. We live in a peaceful country. We can largely work where we want to work and perhaps most importantly, believe what we want to believe. It's all such a gift that's entirely foreign for many people around the world. For generations, the Middle East has been a region racked by turmoil and violence, which, as always it seems, shows no sign of resolution. When you mention the Middle East, it just all seems so hard to get a grip on, understand. But one man who has an intimate knowledge of this troubled region is Joshua Youssef. Joshua is the Executive Vice President of Leading the Way, a ministry that's been around for 24 years now, dedicated to reaching people in what he calls spiritual darkness. Its television and radio programs reach more than 190 countries and are broadcast in 20 languages. Each program is unique, creative and committed to sharing Jesus Christ to people who may never have heard of him. Joshua, welcome to Open House. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Lee. Great to meet you and uh, great to have you on the program. Unlike many of us, you've had uh, a lot of first-hand experience with the unrest, the violence of the Middle East and, and all the dynamics there. From that experience and knowledge of it, what would you say lies at the core of the great troubles in the Middle East? It's a, it's a fact, it's a historical fact that um, democracy has never existed. Let's just take Egypt as an example. It's never really existed in Egypt. It's always been under some sort of author- authoritarian rule. And the question is, is whether or not democracy can exist, yes. uh, coexist with, say, Sharia law, which is Islamic law. And and I think most people are beginning to see that they're not compatible. They're not going to work well together. I think that's probably the issue as it relates to, to government and politics in the Middle East. What What we're seeing in terms of ministry is there are a lot of – uh, people who are now seeing the, the radicalization of a country like Egypt, they're seeing the Muslim Brotherhood gain more power. And some of, some of the more secular-minded are, are forced to have to deal with this issue. W- what do they believe? The question is, what do they believe? Do they believe in what this uh, strict authoritarian uh, Islamic law teaches? Or is there an alternative? And it's giving Christians a great inroads to sharing the gospel. Um, my cousin is a pastor of the largest church in the Middle East, which is in Tahrir Square. And they have shared with us some of the most amazing stories about the church going into Tahrir Square, doing evangelistic campaigns, singing, uh, handing out tracts. Um, in, in some in some ways, if there's light in all of this, is that the, the church has been able to take advantage of some of this turmoil and and to do things really they weren't actually able to do under the previous administration. So are you saying that democracy can't work or doesn't work there? I think that's probably one of the lessons of the last decade maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I my personal opinion is I, I just don't think it I don't think it can work. Yeah. And we see it in Turkey. I think we see it in Turkey because Ataturk he made it a secular state. I mean he 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 essentially just said, hey, this is what this is our constitution. We're a secular state. Basically ruled out any kind of hardline Islamic influence. It, it doesn't appear Egypt's ever going to do that. I, I think the Muslim Brotherhood now has, I think it's 75% of control of the parliament. I don't see that 
secularization taking place. I think a lot of the moderate, young, moderate, very zealous, they have great intentions, but they're they're now beginning to see their idea of a secular state uh, crumble. So if democracy is not going to work, and that's not the magic solution, is the question of faith? Well, ultimately, as a Christian, the, the answer is, is Jesus. The, the, they, these people need they need Christ. And, and, uh, and we're, and we're doing that as a ministry, we're trying to sort of stay out of the, the political, yes. um, Wisely. Does, well, yeah, I think there are some, some of the channels and some of the radio programs, other radio programs have decided to engage. That's their decision. We've just felt like there's a huge field here where we can reach people by avoiding some of the political discussion. And yet there has to be a respect for other people's beliefs. Yeah, so we want to we want to tell the truth, but we want to do it in love. How do you do that in um, practice, and how do you show that respect? Yeah, let me let me take our satellite channel as a as an example. I mean, in terms of production rules, we say we don't like we don't talk about Israel. Israel is a kind of peripheral issue, not a core issue. So we say no Israel. Uh, we don't want to talk about war, you know, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, the political I- issues, um, as well as uh, talking about Islam specifically. So we can talk about this is what you know, other religions believe this, but we don't specifically say Islam. We don't want to unnecessarily, you know, cause anger in the mind of the non-Christian uh, as we as we present the gospel. So you put it out there without buying an argument. Right. Yeah. How important is that? I think the gospel in and of itself is a, a backhoe. You know, I mean, it, it, it's a, it, it digs out our, our backyards, right? So we don't need to unnecessarily be digging uh, in advance of the gospel. So th- there are other channels that have decided to engage more polemically as far as what are the differences between Islam and Christianity? What does what did Muhammad really believe? What did he really do? What was the hist- history behind him? And in doing so, they certainly get a lot of response and they get a lot of negative response. We, on the other hand, have decided to say, let's leave that. Let's leave that to other people and let's just present Christ. Let's yeah. present Jesus. As Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. We're going to trust that the Lord is going to not let his word return void as he said it would, wouldn't. So that's our ministry philosophy. There's a great logic in being proactive and I think being somewhat positive rather than chuck rocks all the time. How did Leading the Way start? Well, we started in the Middle East on a very powerful AM radio station called Radio Monte Carlo, which had really been around since the 40s. Uh, This is an interesting story. Uh, Hitler actually built this tower. I was constructing this tower on the on the, on the mount, mountain of Montagel in in Monaco, and his idea was to create a, a one million watt radio tower that would reach into Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, all North Africa in advance of of his conquering of North Africa. Mm. But before he could actually implement this, you know, get the tower finished, uh, war had ended, and he was dead, and uh, the tower sat there until a group of uh, Christians came in in the fifties. The late 40s, early 50s came in and actually worked out a 99-year contract with the Monegasque government. And so since the 50s, you've had Christian content going into North Africa on this 1 million watt, you know, we, we call it a cancer-causing stick <laughs> in, in, in the middle terrible. of Europe. Yes. Um, and, and then a, a rebroadcast on a 600,000-watt AM tower in Cyprus. So from there, since 96, we started doing a dual-language English-Arabic radio program 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Ma'an Alatariq is the program, Together on the, on the Road. And uh, we broadcast uh, four nights a week on both of those platforms. So that was our first sort of inroad into the Middle East. And then came television. And then came television. In 2009, we began broadcasting a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week satellite channel into the Middle East and North Africa. And what was so interesting is when we first started, we, we felt like the only way to get into the Middle East was to go onto a European satellite platform with some spillover into the Middle East. And then six months later, Nilesat, which is an Egyptian satellite system, approached us. And through a series of testing, we, we went on to this. We became the first Christian network to be allowed on, on Nilesat, which was a predominantly, as I said, a predominantly Egyptian. At their initiative. At their initiative. Amazing. So they tried us out for a, a couple of days, and they looked at response. They looked at the hate mail and the the, <laughs> the calls, and they, they weighed out, okay, let's let's try this. And since then, they've added a couple more Christian stations. Some have been put on and yanked off, but we have remained on uh, since uh, 2009. That's part of the genius I was talking about before of putting the good news quite literally out there like that. And and, and we did. We we got response back from some of the decision makers who said, you know what? You didn't mention Muhammad once. You didn't mention Islam once. You just said many of the Muslims say, okay, they're just reaching the Christian community. But we're getting amazing, amazing responses. I mean, some really almost earth-shattering responses, people who were very, very stuck in their uh, religion, uh, who were influencers, people, imams. We get, we have had imams who have been, who've come to Christ and have now been baptized by our on-the-ground staff. We had an imam in Mali, the country of Mali in Africa, who was watching, and he had all these questions and over a series of Skype calls uh, with our re- representative in Beirut, we ultimately connected him with a Christian Campus Crusade staff in Mali, who then baptized him, and he said, "I, I can't, I can't go back to the town that I was in. They, they'll kill me." So he's since moved and has a ministry in his in his town. Uh, we had another imam. Um, this has been about three or four months uh, going going on now, where our staff are answering his questions, praying with him, praying for him. This would be a very, very big deal if he makes a decision and, and is baptized. So we're, ch- we're chipping away slowly at, uh, at, at these countries. I imagine also there are lots of personal stories of ordinary people turning to Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So I'm t- I guess I'm talking about the sensational ones. But yeah, yeah, there's hundreds that we get daily. Women who are trapped in, you know, really horrible situations horrible by any by any standard men who 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 have who have serious doubts uh as well as christians nominal christians uh coptic uh, nominal even protestant nominal who are you know what we call pew warmers you know they just sort of sit and they feed but they don't really know in some cases you know like in the coptic church sometimes the services are in the coptic language and some copts don't know the coptic language so they have they sit there and they don't have any idea what they're uh what they're being told. So it's exciting to see people from all walks of the spectrum, whether it be cultural Christian or, or Muslim, uh, coming to hear a very pure gospel message. When you hear of someone saying, if I turn to the Christian faith, I cannot leave in my town because they'll kill me, do you fear for your own safety in this work? It's been a couple of years since I've traveled to Egypt. I, I, I think... It would probably be unwise for me to go now. I was reading an article about um, Secretary of Transportation in America. His son is now in an Egyptian jail 
and they don't seem to be making any progress in getting him out. Uh, so I think with the profile that we now have in the Middle East, it's probably unwise for me to go. Now, our staff does go regularly to Egypt, and we have staff on the ground. We have a studio in, in Egypt. We have staff in Jordan and staff in, in Lebanon. But it's it's very quickly becoming a different world, a different environment, particularly in that region. How concerned are you about that? It's enough to get you kind of depressed when you when your cousins call and say they're thinking about moving to Europe and you know pulling their kids out of school, and it's a very alarming situation. At the same time, uh, you do hear exciting stories about what churches are doing, what our on the ground staff are up to, and and some of the successes they've had in winning uh, people to the Lord. There are always ways in which those who launch out in ministries like this benefit themselves from what they are seeking to hand on to others. I know you don't do that intentionally, but what are the things that you have gained from this experience and this involvement in leading the way? For me, 2001 was a, a crossroads for me. It was a, it was a, a real turning point. Um, I, I had worked in politics in the United States. A month later, after leaving uh, Washington, D.C., went to the Middle East and went to a revival meeting that my father was having in Cairo, right there in Tahrir Square. And I was watching literally Muslim women with the hijab and Muslim men coming in to this church service, some of them standing up publicly to receive Christ and being baptized. It was really, it shook my world because I, I for the first time, saw people who were not just making a decision, put writing their name on a pledge card and, you know, casually making a decision, but making a decision which could affect their job, which could affect their family position, yes. or could affect whether or not they see tomorrow. Yes. And that, to me, was uh, a, a big shift, a big turning point in my life. And it, it shaped, really, it shaped how I view the gospel, because I think in many ways we in the West have unfortunately bought into a cheap grace a cheapened gospel, and to see people who are willing to lose their life for the gospel has has shaped and sort of put on a different set of lenses for me. With that perspective, what would you say to those who are living in that comfortable kind of almost corrupted niche? I, I don't want to put on a false, like, you know, put in a false guilt of like, no, no, no. you need to sell everything you have and you need to move to the Middle East. But I, I do think, I do think making yourself I think Christians do need to make themselves aware of the persecuted. Philippians one twenty nine. for it has been graced, I mean, the, the, the gifted to you to suffer on behalf of Christ. Um, Paul is saying, basically, um, this is a gift from God to suffer for his sake. And I think that's not something that we in the West fully understand. I think we see the Christian life as oftentimes an easy, carefree kind of um, blessing upon blessing it's just blessings yes. hey you got you know if you're not being blessed you're not you must not be uh living out the christian life effectively and i i think that's a very dangerous that can be dangerous you're not saying hunt down suffering for yourself or how do you find that how do you reconcile that because the west is comfortable i did a sermon on philippians 129 and I, I focused mo more on the Middle East and North Africa and the 1040 window where persecution is, is a more overt, um, direct type of persecution. And several people came to me and said, well, what, what about us? Because we experience persecution when we share our faith in the workplace. People accuse us of being narrow-minded or bigoted. 
it, I kind of thought for a second, well, may, maybe I should have um, shared a little bit more about the, the global persecution because there are different t- different kinds of persecution. Yes. But I do think there is, I mean, there's a lot of scripture that points to the fact that this gospel will not be received well by the world. If we start to think everywhere we go that it's going to be received well, we've got to ask ourselves the question, are we, are we preaching the pure gospel? Because look, let's take Australia for, for, for instance. I mean, this is a very secular country. And I, I think that the message that, uh, that you're a sinner and that you're saved only by the grace of God is, is, is generally not going to be received well. We pray that it will. It's, it's a message that's going to come face to face. It's going to come head to head with some opposition, I think. And I'm saying this, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here personally. I think in many ways we've, we've put too much sandpaper on the gospel. And we've, we've, we've softened out those edges um, maybe a little too much. Joshua Yusuf, you've stretched our minds in so many ways. It's been a great privilege to talk with you tonight on Open House. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.